Hi, my name's Nick. My name's Sky. We're from Decriminalized Nature Portland. And you're, you're listening, listening to, to The, the Dirt, Dirt Show. Welcome to the Dirt Show. I'm Higher Peaks. And this is Lady Sativa. And we are at the end of the year, finally. Yes, we are. Coming up on 2020. Christmas is over. I'm thankful for that. Thank God. Um, Seems like the traffic slowed down and everybody's definitely ready for New Year's. Mm -hmm. Is everybody ready for New Year's out there? I don't know. We'll find out. It's the turn of the decade. I've been excited for this one. It's always a big marker for change. What do you want for 2020? What's your goals? Um, I actually... I haven't thought of any goals really, but I thought of personal things. Um, Mm -hmm. You're going to be, you know, this decade you'll be in your forties. You know what? Nobody asked you. (laughs) Let's move on. (laughs) All right. We'll keep this short. We'll go over uh, what's going on out in the world real quick. And then we'll get into our guests. I just want to go over real quick. There was a study that uh, sent underage buyers to cannabis stores. They found that compliance with laws restricting marijuana sales to individuals 21 or older with a valid ID was high, and that refusal rates exceeded those for alcohol and were similar to those for tobacco. So you guys are kicking ass on that. Hell yeah. OLCC, though, is probably, they don't let that shit go. No, actually, uh, Even with alcohol. So. Yeah, I have heard a story that uh, there was a girl, um, it was from one of our reps, there was a girl that had um, had a sting come in while the rep was there. And she ended up selling to a minor and she said that cops came in, like they came in, they were all prepared <laughs> and um, they busted in on her and they ended up arresting her. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're getting serious as we talked about OLCC actually released, uh, well, it was an article in Mail Tribune, but they had released uh, some fines. You know, they, they came down like we thought hard on not only um, at the lower levels, like the bud tenders, but also on the farms, there was what you said, three that have to either surrender or sell their license? There was one that I had read that was a farm that had, um, I don't know, I think they had owned multiple license mm-hmm. licenses and they got five different fines per license and there was eight different licenses. Wow. So they ended up having to surrender their license. Just because of the amount? Or, uh, well, or was it just was too many fines or uh, well, too many. You're fucking up all the way around if you're sure. if, you, if you have that many on eight different like you've got eight different mm-hmm. establishments or places, whatever, and you are big. fucking up on all aspects five different times on each one. Mm-hmm. That is a very large amount. Yeah, and so it's like, yeah, I'd surrender my fucking license too because each one of those fines or each one of those. Uh, dings against them, violations, they have to pay at least a $1,000 fine. Yeah. Well, if they're going to go out, they're going so, out hot. <laughs> yeah. And then there was a couple other places that got fines and violations. A couple places had to surrender their license. Uh, there was like two two dispensaries that had to surrender their licenses. 
and then there was um, other places around like around Medford, because not all these were from around Medford. Um, but there was a couple places around Medford that got violations, a couple violations, and then they have to uh, they have to close down for four days. Or we know a big company around here that has to close off for forty one days, mm-hmm. and they have like a six to seven thousand dollar fine. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, that's probably doable for someone yes. to be able to handle that. But, but that one was mostly because cameras. There well, was I know, not but... camera footage for 41 days. <laughs> I, I wonder if the uh, the payoff was worth it. Not the payoff like that. I just mean like if there's some sort of benefit on that end. I personally didn't want to be on a list. Because uh, once you're on tough. that list, you're already on that list. And then you're going to be watched a lot closer. Probably. Probably. So I, I would imagine. I don't think it would be worth it at all. Yeah. Personally. Yeah. But um, like as of right now, we're pretty prideful that we're not on that list. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Food and Drug Administration is currently considering a proposal to allow the use of MDMA therapy under its expanded access program. So MDMA assisted therapy trials for PTSD may still be underway, but we're already seeing efforts to expand access outside a research setting for those who are seeking treatment. In the next calendar year, Somatic Center Portland in Oregon plans to open the doors of a brand new MDMA assisted therapy center. Slated to be the first ever of its kind, six therapists, including licensed professional counselors, a psychologist, a marriage and family therapist, and a licensed clinical social worker on deck to treat folks suffering from PTSD throughout the duration of an unprecedented program sponsored by the the for-profit wing of the psychedelic research conglomerate, the MAPS program, which we heard a lot about. They're really making moves. The Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies that's down south in LA. MAPS is comprised of both a nonprofit entity which conducts research as well as a public benefit corp which trains therapists, sponsors research sites, and submitted the protocol to the FDA. So this would be a first time, maybe open doors for MDMA. Uh, MDMA became a Schedule One drug in 1985. You know, it says that patients would be able to receive legal MDMA-assisted therapy outside of a research environment. We want to get to this treatment to as many people as quickly as possible. So nice, awesome. Representative Ed Perlmutter <laughs> tweeted, a historic year indeed. The Safe Banking Act was the biggest reform to our federal cannabis laws since 1970. I hope we'll continue to see progress in 2020 and get hashtag safe banking signed into law to protect businesses, residents, and communities. That was a big thing for 2019, I think, was getting some sort of banking initiated, at least Mm -hmm. some form of it initiated to uh, help these people that freaking, you know how it is having to deal with cash all the time. Mm -hmm. Bunch of crap. We've got a lot of people that bitch about it too, which honestly doesn't bother me having to deal with cash. It really doesn't. It's the dealing with the people that bitch about it so much. And then they think that we constantly need to have an ATM ready and stuff like that. It's I, I'm sorry, but when it comes down to it, you're paying an arm and a leg to use our ATM. Six dollars. Let me throw that out there. Six fucking dollars. <laughs> Just because we give you some money back occasionally. Um that does not mean that your bank doesn't charge you and we, you know, the ATM there doesn't charge you. So it's <laughs> worth it to go to your bank before you come in or yeah. have cash on you. Well, and that just this thing, it's going to help more than just you guys. I mean, this banking thing is going to help everybody. This banking thing. <laughs> yeah, it's well, it's, it is going to help everybody. But at the same time, if you think about it, this banking thing is also going to take a lot from us as bud tenders. Like we're not going to get tips like we used to at all oh see you're pointing out stuff i wouldn't even notice yeah why the fuck would we get tips if you're using your card they're not going to have cash to give us a tip and then they're going to try and give it to us electronically (laughs) and then we got to wait for a motherfucking cash check just to do that because we're not going to be able to get it any other way all right whoa i guess (laughs) 
Trust me, I've safe heard of it from the server. Safe banking act isn't so good for... <laughs> Oh, man. So, uh, all right. Well, California officials and activists are considering whether a new ballot initiative is needed to address regulatory hurdles in the state's current legal marijuana law. Wow. California's been having a hard time. Mm -hmm. Sorry, guys. I, you know, it's funny. You guys led with medical, but man, this uh, wreck is just fumbling a little bit. I've heard a lot of Californians just don't give a fuck about the rec market. They are not happy just with screw it. it. They Stay are black. There, well, there are so many taxes that they have to pay that are almost more than the weed that they actually have to buy, and it ain't worth it. So it's. I've heard lots and lots of complaints from Californians yeah. that come up and buy from Well, and we're Oregon. close, so yes, yeah, so yeah. you're hearing it because we, we're right by lot, the border. Yeah, yeah. I, well, in talent. I'm even closer in talent than it is yeah. in Medford. Like, I hear a lot of people and a lot of people come through and are like, the only place that you can find really, really good stuff is if you drive deep down into California, mm-hmm. like near Mexico. Right. Or, <laughs> yeah, like that deep down to California. Or you've got to come up to Oregon. Yeah. So otherwise they say that the prices aren't worth it. Well, you can just come up here. The quality is not worth it. Come up here, buy your weed, and go to Costco. Right. Save your sales tax. That's true. Okay. Good point. The second group of Oklahoma activists are filing a proposed marijuana legalization ballot measure. They're really trying hard there. (laughs) Come on, guys. Second group. (laughs) This would be third, fourth, fifth. I like this. Vermont police. You guys are rough, man. Data shows that arrests for THC-impaired driving have more than doubled in the year since the state legalized marijuana possession. But that may be because there has been an increased emphasis on training officers to focus on detecting such activity. They're like, ha, we're going to train these motherfuckers how to find them. revenue. (laughs) Well, I think that's a bunch of bullshit, guys, to be honest, because you ain't got no way to do that breathalyzer. And just because it's in your system or you say, you say that they're high, man, that's subjective. I don't care what you say. People have allergies. I'm just glad I don't live in Vermont. Sometimes their eyes are red for other reasons than cannabis, right? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So Louisiana regulars are fast-tracking hemp rules with the first cultivation license going. They're kicking ass. Oh, yeah. Uh, Colorado marijuana dispensaries will be required to post warnings about the effects of marijuana on pregnant women starting January 1st. Now, you guys already do that. Yeah. No, we do it on babies, like pregnant women. Um, and what it is is it, it causes harm to your baby is what it does. It doesn't say so much pregnant women. It doesn't talk about pregnant women. So I see. So this is saying maybe I see. Well, it's probably related to baby stuff too. It probably it probably is, but it it says will harm your baby is what it says, and then you have Just to that. read down further. Yeah. Now it, is that required now here? Yes, we have to have every customer touch it or acknowledge it before they leave the store. <laughs> Are you pregnant? No, why? No, not even pregnant. We have the handout. It's an OLCC handout that says it may harm your child. On the flip side, it says may harm your baby. And you have to have a customer look through it. We have had customers ask why we have to t- why they have to touch it because of the fact that they're afraid that we're going to collect their fingerprints now. Mm. Well, because we were. really give a fuck about those people that we want their fucking fingerprints. Come on. <laughs> You never know what OLCC is going to want, but... Uh, well, OLCC does not come and touch all of our glass and, and our plastic stuff to get that fingerprints. You know about. It's probably like that new episode on, what is it, the Lost in Space, where OLC, OLCC comes in when you guys aren't there and shit. Anyway, mm. never mind. <laughs> it says, New York City police have returned an improperly seized hemp shipment to a Brooklyn CBD wholesaler. They smoked that shit. They're like... <laughs> this oh, is CBD. Oh, oh, shit, they were right. Give it back. thought it was THC. <laughs> <laughs> give that shit back but <laughs> well good for you guys giving it back uh now we can 
ship it somewhere else, I guess. A review concluded that newly available evidence supports earlier findings that cannabidiol probably <laughs> reduces the frequency of seizures among children with drug-resistant epilepsy. <laughs> Rapper baby, who I have no fuck clue that is, was caught with marijuana shortly after giving away toys to children following a concert. Okay. I'm not sure if there's a problem. I here. don't see a problem here. Guess In what? Fact, I gave I think, my kids presents after I smoked a bull on Christmas. I, I think that he <laughs> deserved it. <laughs> Hold on, let's see. Let's see who the baby is. <laughs> While you're doing that, listen, this is gonna lead right up to this. We brought on Nick and Sky from Decriminalized Nature from Portland PDX. That is essentially the newest part of Decriminalized Nature, which came out of Oakland, actually. Now, uh, both Oakland and Colorado had decriminalized in their city, got it to where uh, these uh, mushrooms in your possession is a low-level crime. It's, right. They're not putting any effort or any monies into it. So we heard a lot about Colorado. Didn't really hear much about Oakland until mm -mm. we had read that article. Mm. But this is where it stems from. And that's yeah. what, so now they're in Portland and there are a couple other places they talk about Sacramento and such. But this article explains basically what's going on up there. And uh, they're really kicking ass. These guys are really cool. Uh, activists in Portland, Oregon, have officially started collecting signatures for a measure to locally decriminalize a wide range of psychedelics such as psilocybin and ayahuasca. The proposed ballot initiative, which was submitted in October, would prohibit the use of city funds to assist in the enforcement of laws against personal possession and cultivation of entheogenic plants and fungi. The initiative stipulates that Portland cannot adopt any laws prohibiting or regulating the possession, cultivation, or distribution of these substances for personal use. So Decriminalized Nature Portland, which is the group behind the campaign, needs to collect 37,638 valid signatures from voters to, in order to qualify for the ballot. Holly Sullivan, a volunteer coordinator for the group, told Marijuana Moment that their plans is to gather more than the needed total by the deadline of July 6th using a combination of diligent volunteers and full-time paid organizers. So they had really good response. They've got 400 plus signatures, so they're doing real well and they're killing it. They talk all about this in their interview. We also talk about other things. All in all, really good people and we really support them up there and what they're doing. They give information on how to find them. Um, all right, with that said, here it is. We thank you guys. And uh, enjoy the show. We'll see you next year. Next year, 2020. Can't wait. So have a good New Year's. Be safe and Oregon love. Oregon love. Stay rooted. All right. I have Nick and Sky here representing Decriminalized Nature Portland. Hello. Hello. Thanks Thank for you. being here. Yeah. Thanks for having uh, us. Yeah. So you guys live in Portland. I appreciate you guys being down here to do this, especially this time of year. Uh, Nick and Sky both. Can you guys put into context what Decriminalized Nature is, mm -hmm. what it's about? Yeah, well, it is a national move. Well, international. It's happening in Canada too, I believe. Uh, the decriminalized nature was coined in Oakland. They decriminalized all natural psychedelics that are currently under Schedule One um, in their city through a resolution process that they brought to their city council, and it kind of just snuck up on all the psychedelic community. We it just happened seemingly suddenly. I mean, they put a lot of work into it, but. We found out when it happened, and it excited a lot of people, um, really abroad. And you know, uh, we were in the process of supporting the uh, Oregon statewide initiative uh, to legalize mushroom therapy, Psy twenty twenty. And right around the time they revoked decriminalization decriminalization from their initiative, 
Oakland came out and just really took the bull by the horns and it was really inspiring and we reached out to them and they the organizers there are really awesome everything's open source and they really wanted to help other communities uh, do the same work and with more resources than they had so they you know accumulated all the research that they presented with to their city council and uh, formulated calls where everybody who was interested could get on and all talk to each other share strategy and tactics and from there, it just grew and grew. We had a lot of support, and we had already a huge base of um, folks in our community who was supporting our work in um, decriminalization of mushrooms and other natural psychedelics. And from there, it just it bloomed. Now, so did it originate in Oakland? Is that where they originated from? Yeah, decriminalized nature. That's where it was coined, the, the, the word. Um, I see. But yeah, there's, I guess, a lot of different strategies because... Uh, Denver decriminalized mushrooms, you know, right. within a couple of months of Oakland, like previous to Oakland. And that was a really, you know, we were, it was a very suspenseful campaign, you know, we were really keeping up with them, which is why Oakland, it seemed like such a surprise could just happen like that. It really was. I mean, it, and it seemed like kind of Denver was, it was just more noticeable there for some reason, because I didn't even know about Oakland until mm -hmm. just a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if Oregon's going to be that way. Like right. it just pops up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, the, it was two separate processes. So mm -hmm. Denver went through the initiative process, okay, which inherently makes more noise because uh, you've taken the the process through the voters. You have mm -hmm. to do get out the vote work. Uh, Oakland did a resolution with their city council, so it was all done with their elected officials. Mm -hmm. So it was v done very quietly in the background, and then mm -hmm. we just heard about the victory. A mm -hmm. uh, little is bit it, different. Is that, is that a better way? <laughs> um, or could it be a better way? So what we're doing in Portland, we're actually going through the initiative process to do what's called a charter amendment up there. And the chart, the Portland city charter is like our constitution in Portland. Um, they have, there's benefits to both. The resolution process can be done typically a lot cheaper. If your elected officials are willing to champion the cause and mm -hmm. down in Oakland, they had Noel Gallo who has plant medicine practitioners in his family history. Um, so he was willing to champion the cause. Mm -hmm. We've had a little bit more of a difficult time getting finding a city commissioner in Portland to champion the cause, mm -hmm. although we have met with their offices. Um, it's and election the, year. Yeah. It's election year, so they're you know nervous to do anything too controversial, pretty much. If it's not going to get them votes, so it yeah. comes down to it's got to be a smart political move for them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but through the, the initiative process, we're able to do a charter amendment. So we're actually adding a new chapter to the Portland City Charter. Mm-hmm. And a new section that prohibits Portland from making any laws against these natural psychedelics because there is no Portland city law. They enforce state and federal law. And then we have another section preventing them from enforcing state and federal law within the city. I see. So, so I mean, it, it would be a small geographical area that you'd want to be in, right? Yes. I mean, yeah. Port, Portland's a big city, but, but uh, it would be just for the municipality then. Yes. The city. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just for the city. Yeah. Um, but then it spreads from there. Like in Denver, they got Denver and now Boulder's looking into it. Um, other cities around Denver. In Oakland, you had Oakland get their victory. Now Santa Cruz, uh, now Berkeley. So it just kind of spreads. It's like in mycology, it's like an, it's like an inoculation point where you inoculate your substrate with spores or liquid culture. It's just going to spread and grow. Mm -hmm. And that's really we're mimicking the mushroom mycelium with what we're doing. I think it's great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I hope that happens 
on all these cities that are changing, like Denver. I hope it happens there. I know that there's like 100 plus cities, though, all over the states now, yeah. right, that mm-hmm. are in some form or fashion supporting this. Now, I do know that the initiative says in a controlled setting, correct? Um, just in a private setting. Like private setting. Can't okay, because it was a little ambiguous there. Yeah, we can't be eating mushrooms uh, in public and stuff like that, but it will it'll pretty much protect um, home growing. Okay. Which is huge to us Oregonians, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, <laughs> well, that's huge. I mean, through our cannabis initiative, we can still grow four plants. I think Medford's a little strict, but <laughs> but you can still grow four plants at home and, and empower yourself to have your yes. own medicine supply, yes. even though there's commercial cannabis too. And mm-hmm. then in Washington, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed to home grow. So here in Oregon, in Portland, and hopefully the whole state, mm-hmm. we're looking to keep home growing as an option. I really think that that's the key to any legalization or decriminalization or any regulation is mm. keep the ability for a private person to grow if, if it's a natural. We're talking natural substance. Mm-hmm. So to be able to right. grow it, I think that's key. Mm-hmm. If we lose that as a whole, then mm-hmm. we're subject to full regulation. Regulation, Absolutely. exactly. Uh, which I'm that, that's what scares me. But on the flip, though, we do need to have some sort of decriminalization going on this, and it looks like it's going to be successful. I would imagine that because Oakland and those kind of places, uh, those kind of are the same vibe you get in Portland. Mm-hmm. So I hope that – and it seems like yeah. you got a lot of good support right now, right? We do. Yeah, we do. Uh, we've got over 10,000 people that have donated money to us. We're a grassroots campaign mm-hmm. and have signed up. Uh, in membership with us, so they get our weekly newsletter through email. Okay, mm-hmm. where do they they sign up on the website? Um, we actually canvas. So we mm-hmm. for okay. this past year we've been standing out on the streets, uh, in front of Powell's Books downtown, mm-hmm. grocery stores all over Portland, and we flag everybody who walks past us and says, nice. "Hey, you want to? You got a quick second to talk about mushrooms, or you want to help say, decriminalize? Hey, I want to help decriminalize mushrooms." Uh, and we get a lot of different responses <laughs> from bet. that. Yeah, um, it's, it's got to be tough. It's it's awesome. <laughs> Honestly, we get you'd be surprised who pulls over for us. We get people from all walks of life, all ages. Um, you know, we get there's like a small minority of people who sometimes laugh. You know, they're like, that's so ridiculous. No, we a lot of folks do stop. They give us the time of day. I even had a conversation with someone last week who grew up in Haight-Ashbury uh, in the 60s. And he said, I disagree with what you're doing because you know, I grew up in Haight-Ashbury. I saw a lot of people, you know, go down and we were able to have this really expansive conversation on, well, like, what are the other factors that were, you know, people were doing a lot of crazy shit in the 60s. And um, at the end of the our conversation, I think we had kind of come to a point of understanding each other. And that's a really beautiful thing about organizing and community is like we're able to change each other's perspectives just by giving each other the time of day. And I think at the end of the conversation, you know, this guy, he he understood why I was doing what I was doing and was supportive of it in the end. And so that's been one of our central tenets is, you know, we're not going to any businesses or um, not that we're not going to businesses, but the, our, this, the central aspect of our work is talking with people in our own community and really formulating a plan based on what we want to do as people and really like all... You know, we know what we need. All great movements in history of time have happened for and by the people, not by the government or by, corp- you know, monopolies, corporations. So that's been really kind of the revolutionary tenet of our campaign is is going with our community, being community funded. Yeah, yeah. 
it's it's amazing how much support I've seen. I've sometimes seen more support in a wider range of people with the psychedelic side of things than I have with cannabis. It's it's really weird. It's odd, but I also think that people recognize that there could be some serious value to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody that's ever experienced mushrooms, I think would understand that mm-hmm. right uh and i hate to say that everybody should try mushrooms because i don't think or psychedelics i just don't think that it's right for everybody is the one thing so mm-hmm. uh but there's so much potential uh for its use um mm-hmm. now do you guys have you had experience with it mm-hmm. yes it's, and it also comes down to the intention and creating the culture around it yeah because like that guy's objection from mm-hmm. the hate ashbury scene in the 60s was that a lot of people were out there polydrugging, taking mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff on week-long benders with mm-hmm. LSD, right. different things, which is going to cause some problems. <clears throat> a lot of that scene, heroin came in, mm-hmm. and a lot of those people wound up dying because they were part of this drug culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And so we're kind of sw- shifting the paradigm and shifting the intention behind the use of these things. Yeah, what is the container? That's They're, part of our work, too, uh, and, and hopefully working with our psychedelic society in town, the Portland Psychedelic Society, and there's other groups, too. Um, is through the education talking about what is a safe space, you know, where do you eat mushrooms? Because that's really big. That's major. You know, it puts you in a really vulnerable, emotional place. And also to be able to hear the voice of the mushroom, you kind of have to have like, you know, a space created and some time carved out, you know. So that's a big part of our work. And we get a lot of stories of people who are like, you know, just taking mushrooms in all different kinds of places. But um yeah, I think that is really important uh, to talk about that kind of thing too. Absolutely, especially for people that are just starting to, you know, get to understand psychedelics. Mm-hmm. Uh, even when I was a kid, I think that just to to try the psychedelics was um, it was novelty. Whereas I see a lot more now, it's not. It, there's mm-hmm. there's intention there. Yeah, uh, but it also comes from understanding that. So, like when me and my wife do psychedelics we will do that well we got kids but mm-hmm. you know uh we gotta carve out time yeah. you know get, make sure you got some babysitters going <laughs> and you know and i do i know i like to have my right space all set up i got whatever i music whatever f- toys so to speak or whatever glow sticks uh whatever it is uh <laughs> but it all set up and planned and done and it really makes for a, a much much better experience uh, with a lot less uh opportunity to have it go bad which i don't believe in bad trips same <laughs> i yeah. don't i difficult, don't difficult that. experiences not bad trips difficult and a lot of times they're revealing the the deep shadow stuff well that's the so thing our mind creates these walls and we try to hide from ourselves yes and, and, <laughs> and these natural psychedelics don't allow that to right. continue right. so i i tell people that i'm like well maybe you just got some things to work out first true you know? and generally it is mm-hmm. but the best part is is Every quote unquote bad trip I've experienced when I was done with it was a much greater experience because there was, like you said, there was some sort of knowledge, enlightenment, teaching, something I learned, uh, whatever. Yeah. Or, or I worked through it and it was better next time. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But that's the thing is it's, it's not, it's, yeah, it's not going to let you hide from anything. Mm-hmm. Um, we got to have places or at least people to, to integrate those experiences with. Yeah. And I yes. think like, Maybe what you're, what we see with the scene of people going down to the Amazon from their taking time off their nine to fives office culture or whatever it is to go to the Amazon, drink ayahuasca, and then come back to work without people to talk about that 
heavy experience with, mm -hmm. it just kind of gets shoved, it either gets shoved down and you forget about it. So it doesn't really integrate into normal life or you feel kind of alienated because you've had this mind blowing experience. That's become a huge part of who you are and nobody to talk to. Right. So these psychedelic societies that we have are very mm -hmm. important where people can get together, talk about these uh, experiences and we're dealing with uh, mythological archetypal realms kind of like the dream space mm -hmm. yeah and so uh, through talking to folks that have similar experience we're able to start to understand some of the symbolism that comes out of these experiences and integrate them into life and actually pull value out of it mm -hmm. better ourselves right right I've been reading some books lately on microdosing and using psychedelics and uh, the common theme in a lot of these books is uh, to keep a journal or to keep mm -hmm. some way that you can process what's happened and also reflect mm -hmm. on it and go over it. With the microdosing, we talk to hundreds of people in Portland that are already microdosing, yeah. already macrodosing. People, so many people have mushrooms sitting in their and freezer growing and growing yeah. at home. I, I've noticed people are already doing yeah, it. Yeah. I, I've noticed that that it's become. Uh, part of that movement is actually mm. just growing these mushrooms. Mm -hmm. uh, I see it everywhere, and that's good. I think, I think it's, it's part of their grand plan. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of just like cannabis. It's just outgrow it. I mean, if, yeah. you just you, you bust the whole city. Right. <laughs> Power it, is, it is like, and another thing kind of on the note of, um, you know, traveling far and wide to find plant medicine, which we live in the Pacific Northwest. We're surrounded by plant medicine and the mushrooms are like we, we say on the streets, like our local entheogen. You don't have to go far, you know, and this is the this is the medicine that knows where you live, too. It's there with you. Yeah, well, and it, I, you know, this is a personal thing here, but I do believe people, the, the big names in this culture that are talking about this stuff. Uh, mm. talking about how it's been part of our evolution. Yeah. I, honest to God, I don't see how it couldn't be. Right. Uh, our relationship with psychedelic mushrooms, I would imagine, goes way farther back than mm -hmm. we could imagine mm -hmm. before recorded stuff. What I find odd, and I, we just talked about this in our last episode, is that uh, psychedelics were part of religion and shamanism mm -hmm. and spiritualism for for most of our evolution and then only in the last few hundred years has it become this evil thing in religion yeah an odd flip there yeah uh where people yeah. were in contact with the religious side through psychedelics now it's like oh mm -hmm. you know somehow it has to be some bad thing but yeah it's mm -hmm. the true communion and now we get a little white bread wafer <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> uh, really does nothing for understanding is it, though is the video live <clears throat> It's not live. Uh, fed, no. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but this image right here, I don't know if yeah. the camera can see it. Um, this is like an 11,000 year old piece of cave art from Northern Algeria. Gotcha. Uh, one of the first representations of visionary art we've found so far. Gotcha. And we've just began looking. And I mean, it, that is uh, covered dude, in mushrooms. He's got mushrooms <laughs> all over him. Right. Well, and that's the thing is, uh, I've uh, again, a lot of these books I've been reading <laughs> have artwork depicting what apparently are in mushrooms yeah uh in a lot of old things ruins and mm -hmm. and these you know india they honor the the cows uh well gosh if if your poop grows <laughs> yeah. cubensis i'm you know i've i've i'd honor that shit too so to speak <laughs> uh but you know uh like amanitas we're walking mm -hmm. birch tree of life you got these beautiful mushrooms why wouldn't we try them right so mm -hmm. Uh, and so getting connected back with that, I think people are, it's easy mm -hmm. if you actually experience it. What about you guys? Mm -hmm. So what's your experiences? Mm -hmm. 
Um, myself, I was initiated into the mushrooms at 16 years old. I was a guitar player, so at 14, I started, you know, smoking cannabis and stuff, and was geared towards the psychoactives. Mm-hmm. At 16 years old, I was uh, actually on probation for an assault charge, so I couldn't smoke cannabis. And met my my buddy, um, and we wound up taking mushrooms probably once a week, twice, sometimes twice a week for about a year, really heavy doses. And I was initiated into it that way. And since then, it's been a part of my life. Um, now, you didn't build a tolerance at twice a week? Yeah, but most definitely. But I was going to say. We upped the dose, and I was <laughs> we young, and we, we, were, we were really going for it. But nowadays, it's hard for me to trip once a month. You know, I try to set that intention, and it takes time to integrate these experiences. But yeah. when I was younger, I was just kind of eating as much as I could Balls chew. Out. And that's really when I got initiated into those experiences. And then... Um, I wound up taking this other path. I mean, I, I'm a musician, so I was playing in bands. I was in a party culture. And in this area in Southern Oregon, we've been just devastated by heroin, you know, um, and methamphetamine. Yeah. Both. <gasps> so all of my friends around me started going down that path when I was about 18, 19. I resisted for a while, and I eventually fell down that path, too, and spent roughly 10 years on and off as an IV drug addict. Um, but also in that time at about 21, 22 years old, I learned how to grow mushrooms, uh, with a friend of mine that I was living with. And so the mushroom has been my ally and through those addictions, through the the different mental health things I was going through, I've always returned to the mushroom and I would continue dosing, taking high doses and coming, stripping down the walls in my brain and facing exactly who I was in my behavior, which was difficult, uh, created some cognitive dissonance yeah um seeing seeing who i was what i could be and also what i was doing currently to myself and with the addictive nature of those things being unable to stop it at the current moment but i uh kept faith in the medicines and in myself and continually went down that path and eventually the addiction broke and you know i've been clean three years um do you think the psychedelics helped that absolutely yeah absolutely I think the the mushroom was my main ally, and then also San Pedro cactus was another one. Interesting. And I think that had a um, just a theory here. I think that the the mescaline molecule is a phenethylamine structure, so it's kind of the parent molecule of amphetamines. And what I see with these synthetic amphetamines is that they're possibly a perversion of the natural molecule. I see that we find in mescaline, and so the cactus I think had a a huge impact in undoing some of the brain damage I had done with, um, you know, the methamphetamine around here. Now it's interesting. You mentioned San Pedro. What is that like? I don't hear too many people talking about those. (laughs) San Pedro cactus. Um, I mean, I hear it. I know about it. I just don't hear about the actual experiences with it. The actual experiences with it. I would say, um, it's got some things in common with LSD. Definitely. It's more, uh, stimulating it's very long lasting takes a couple hours to kick in and once it kicks in it's it can be a 12 to 15 hour experience um it's a like i was saying the mescaline is a phenethylamine molecule so it's more stimulating by nature um the visuals tend to not be as much like uh wavy and melty as psilocybin they're more geometric Mm -hmm. um and it's a very it's a very gentle experience, but it also can be a very powerful experience. And I think it's a it's a really great 
plant medicine for people to get into. Um, San Pedro cactus, which there's several species that fall under the umbrella San Pedro. Mm. Um, the species is Trichocereus, and it's a much more sustainable mm. uh, cactus, you know, as com- as compared to peyote. Mm. That one's uh, endangered, and it's oh. it's probably better that we don't use that unless we're willing to put in 20 years to grow our own. Mm-hmm. So is that the one that takes a while to grow? Because I, yeah. I, 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 some cactus it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's peyote. And um, <clears throat> San Pedro's, when they're old, can be close to as potent as peyote. Mm-hmm. And they're also much more sustainable to grow. They can put out, once they're established, they can grow about a foot a year, even here in uh, southern Oregon. Mm-hmm. You give them a little bit of covering in the winter, you can stick them in your garage or just put some visqueen or stick them in a greenhouse. Um and they put on about a foot a year or more. That's pretty good. And once they're a good, once they have a good girth and they're a good size, a uh, foot is about about a foot is a dose. You want a piece about the size of your forearm Damn. for a dose. Wow. So it's a it's a more sustainable medicine if you're trying to grow your own medicine. I guess I'm going back to DMT. Yeah. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> a whole freaking forearm of mm-hmm. cactus. Yeah, and you have to. There's a processing. Yeah. Um. Which is, in, I think that's what's so interesting about the mushroom is that it's, there is no processing. That's something you, you can just pick and eat. Yeah. So we it, probably go way back with that one. I think uh, to the beginnings of humanity. I, you don't need it. alchemy for that. That's yeah. my opinion too. I think that, um, you know, these mushrooms and the funny thing is, is how ingrained they are with life. I mean, these mycorrhizal systems, I mean, mm-hmm. amazing. <laughs> and then the, the mushrooms are just the fruit of it. Mm-hmm. So... Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, nowadays I've, I have a little bit of experience with microdosing, but not so much. I'm more geared towards the macrodosing. Mm-hmm. Um, nowadays, I return to the mushroom often. It's been my longest plant ally, well, fun- fungal ally. Um, and, speci- and specifically just the regular cubensi or do you have a specific? Um, well, I got into a phase when I was when I was a in my like mid twenties, probably 26, 27, where I was shroomery is where I learned how to grow. I got to give a big shout out to these online communities. You got shroomery, mycotopia, mm-hmm. and these are anonymous platforms that have been around since the late eighties, nineties, where people of different, uh, knowledge teach each other how to grow and you can do it on a, with a handle there's anonymous forums. You can go on there and there's places that are geared towards beginners. And then there's intermediate and expert level kind of forums um that's where i learned most of what i what i knew and i got into a phase where i was trying to grow as many different species as i could so i was growing like psilocybe mexicana um from down in oaxaca in central mexico um the paneolis species you got paneolis cyanescens which is a very potent species and the related paneolis bisporus paneolis cambogeniensis Different mushrooms. Those are those are tropical, so they'll like cohabitat, uh, cohabit with cubensis in India, um, Bali, Australia, Mexico. These different tropical and subtropical regions. Um, all kinds of exotic species. Psilocybe semperviva, and then also our. There's too many to name. No, I, then, I realized that. Is there a difference in the <laughs> in the um, experience though? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, because like I even know like. You look at hard alcohol, bad example, but you, but you look at hard alcohol and, and you know, a whiskey's different than, you know, a right. vodka or a tequila, mm-hmm. really. I mean, you all get drunk, but in different ways. So mm-hmm. same with mushrooms. 
yeah most definitely they each have their own voice their own mm. message um and our science knows very little about mushrooms we have typically broke it down to if you look at the therapeutic model psilocybin is the active ingredient right but mm -hmm. we've got psilocybin psilocin baocystin norbaocystin uh ruganessin um i just read something i i not positive about it but that mushrooms uh psilocybin mushrooms possibly have maoi like chemicals like mm -hmm. stuff that's in ayahuasca um we just haven't looked really and mm -hmm. these mushrooms are so complex they create different levels of these alkaloids grown in different areas they and I, I personally believe in the mushroom spirit i think that they are an intelligent species mm -hmm. and there's more going on there than just the constituents mm -hmm. there's a, a holistic picture of these mushrooms but also these different alkaloid levels i think nature speaks through us to us through biochemistry when we ingest it's a, like a holy a communion and I wonder, like, you know, cannabis has different levels of terpenes and stuff. I often yeah. wonder if there's not a terroir to a mushroom. Yeah. There's got to be. You know, if you get a mushroom, a cubensi from Europe versus here, I don't know. There's got to be some difference. I think right. So. Chemically. I think you so. You know, I don't know if it makes a difference, but it's interesting. I think in my my personal experience and in your experience, right, Sky, there, there, <laughs> it, it does make a difference. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Is mushrooms your preferred? Yeah. Grew up in Long Beach, California. Smoked a lot of weed growing up, and it never really served me. Um, I don't know why that is. Yeah. I, I still come back to it. Um, but I met someone in my hometown who we just really hit it off, and mm -hmm. immediately they started telling me about. They lived in the East Coast for a while. I think that's Pennsylvania or somewhere, and they ha they just have a real passion for growing psychedelics, uh, natural psychedelics, and they started telling me about this pharmacopoeia that they had. It was really, I hadn't, I had not eaten mushrooms before. Um, I think I was like 18, nine, maybe a little later than that, maybe like 19. And I just, you know, growing up in the city, um, felt pretty disconnected from natural life. Didn't really know what my like how to connect with plants, even without, you know, like we have like hiking and, and, you know, San Bernardino mountains and, you know, the ocean. I felt this strong calling to like form a deeper relationship with the ground underneath the concrete. Um, but I didn't really know how to do that. And so my friend that I met, you know, they started telling me about how they were just like growing plants in their home and, and all these, you know, mind expanding plants and uh, mushrooms too. And I just, something rang and I was like you know how how difficult is it like could I do it and they said I'll help you if you buy all the supplies and you do all the work I'll stand there and I'll mentor you and so um you know bought a little pressure cooker bought jars did pf tech um and it was you know, sort of haphazard because I ended up moving out of my hometown and had colonized jars in the backseat of my Honda oh, man. and driving up to Northern California. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and it worked out. You know, I, I drove up to Northern California and uh, I was living in a school bus, like no temperature control, just kind of like going for it. And they fruited uh, nice. B plus, Cubensis. Yeah. Uh, and it was a really mm. beautiful experience. Um, but one that, you know, I didn't, I, I was, you know, younger. And so I didn't like create like, you know, all these controls. I wasn't rooted anywhere. 
And I, after that, you know, I ate a lot of those and <laughs> I took, <laughs> took a step away from it for a while because I was moving around again. Um, and, you know, had really beautiful experiences. Um, I've been, like I said, feeling a calling to herbalism, Western herbalism, because it's where I live, um, to growing plants. And I think part, a big part of that is just growing up in the city and feeling pretty cut off and pretty angry about that too. Yeah. Uh, and so kind of the balance is, um, you know, just going out to my backyard or uh, there's a woman, Karen Rose, she's a uh, herbalist in Brooklyn. And she talks about how, you know, a lot of these weeds, what we call weeds that are growing all around us in the city, dandelion, and uh, we got a lot of mole in here. Um, they're medicinal, and they they pop up right where we we need them. You know, um, there's like there is conversation happening between us and the plants, but a lot of times we don't see it. And same thing with the mushrooms, I think. And so I, I'm kind of coming back to growing growing edibles, and it's really and you know once you know how to grow one mushroom, you, I, discounting the exotics who take a lot more like you know they're particular but you know with cubensis and edible mushrooms oysters and mm -hmm. uh there's a lot of the same same process same process of growing and i think that's what really attracts me is um just seeing the life cycles uh happen before me and there's so much to reflect on when you see the process of a mushroom and what it likes what it doesn't like you start to get in tune with what the mushroom needs or what, you know, the plant around you needs. And you just visit it a lot. And, you know, it's fragrant, you smell, and it, you're using all your senses. Um, that way I'm able to connect. And there's, you know, more personal stuff, I guess, going on there too. Of sure. course, you know, when you journey, um, it, all of my trips have been difficult. I don't think I've ever had a trip where <laughs> I've been like partying and just kicking. I mean, you know, of course I laugh and, She's that, got a lot to work out. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Joking. No, it's it's true. It's like we're all fucked up. <laughs> so yeah, there's yeah. a lot. There's a lot. Uh, you know, externalities as far and also like personal work always to be done. So I always create that space. Yeah, there's always there's always time for that one hour cry in the corner. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh yeah, sometimes longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, you're laid it out. Seems like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Lost track of time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then there's always time for the giggle fits as well. Yeah, oh, you man. gotta it's have kind those. Of the full spectrum. I look, I look forward to those. I one of my <laughs> well, one of my best experiences is I had uh, down to quarter. And, you know, around Medford, you don't mm. know what you're getting. <laughs> I mean, who knows? It could have been sitting around for two years and not very powerful. Mm -hmm. It could have been. You just don't know. And so <clears throat> I took the quarter and, and I laid down on the floor and I had the best six hours of my life. It was total. I laughed the whole time. Mm. I don't rare. I rarely have those. You know, I don't, I do have the giggles, but not mm -hmm. the whole time. Like I went from beginning to end with that and it was just great. See, how healing is that? It a lot great. of people, a lot of times people <laughs> ask us, well, is it recreational or is it therapeutic? That, and, and it's both. It's both. You know, it is. It, people, for some reason, there's a uh, way of thinking, though, that relates being high mm -hmm. so enjoying the medicine <clears throat> mm -hmm. so like you can't enjoy your medicine right in traditional thinking it's <laughs> like if you have if you're taking something to get better it's got to have a huge amount of side effects yeah mm -hmm. right that's just the way medicine is <laughs> you can't you can't take medicine and get <clears throat> high and have fun right? that doesn't no that doesn't work that's mm -hmm. not medicine it's not medicine <laughs> that's crazy you're high yeah. yeah no 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 which is odd to me I, inherently 
I have not had one person be able to explain why being high is a bad thing. Mm. I can tell you why being inebriated by a certain substance might be a bad thing, mm. but in and of itself, being inebriated high is mm. not a bad thing. Yeah. Mm. And if you think it is, tell me why. Mm -hmm. It all comes down to a personal opinion. Yeah, and or, especially with with the mushrooms, what they're finding out is it's building neural these neural connections. You know, it's breaking down our default no mode network, what they're calling it. You know, in layman's terms, and then kind of readjusting. Um, and there's a uh, I always get his name Jeff Tarrant. Jeff Tarrant. Doctor Jeff Tarrant. Doctor yeah. Doctor Jeff Tarrant. Uh, he he's in uh, Oregon. He's a uh, Shoot, I forget. It, he 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 works with uh, brains. <laughs> Can you explain he this? <laughs> he does uh, brain scans. Brain scans, yeah. That's one one of the things he does. Yeah. <laughs> he did a small grassroots sure. study with microdosing. Okay. Um, which they're really having. I know you said you're reading books about yeah. microdosing, and maybe that's more anecdotal. I don't know if there's like he says that there. You know, there's not really many studies at least where we're studying the brain and what's happening with microdosing. And so he did a small three-person grassroots study with microdosing where um, people took the same, uh, I forget how long it was, how many weeks. It was like a... Uh, it was a small trial. Small trial. I think they may have done it over a few weeks or a month. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, where, you know, three guys, they each took the same dose in a non-stimulating environment, like in his office and for... While, you know, they were digesting it, you know, they read or did something just like very non-stimulating and then they took the brain scan and they also wrote reports at the end of the day how their experience was. And the interesting thing that Jeff Tarrant, Dr. Jeff Tarrant found um, in studying the brain scans at the end of the study was that each one looked completely different. There were like, um, you know, gamma and theta and these different brain waves and different parts of the brain were lighting up in each person. And he's like, that's really weird. Why is it, you know, you'd think that it would be like, oh, it's just happening in the hippocampus or, you know, different parts of the brain. But it, for each person, different parts of the brain were lighting up pretty like majorly, right. uh, pretty and, radically. And dimming as well. So there and was like increased well. activity in certain right. brain parts and decreased activity in certain mm -hmm. brain parts. A lot of times what the scans were showing correlated to their anecdotal experience, their the anecdotal mm -hmm. evidence of what they were describing. Mm -hmm. um, but there was no really cohesion between the four brains. Yeah. Uh, it seemed to be doing something unique in everybody's brain. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he uh, presented on this study at uh, Guy and Mine, which is a conference in Portland that happened this year. It was the first one. Um, and he said, you know, he had something written up to present on. And then like the day before he presented something clicked in his brain and he thought, wait a second. And he kind of had like an epiphany about it that maybe what's happening with the microdosing is, um, the, he, he ended up comparing these three brain scans to like, you know, there's a whole database of brain scans that he has access to. And he compared them to a bunch of different, like so-called normal brains, and what he realized is maybe when we microdose, our brains are normalizing to like so-called normal brains. So what some people are experiencing is like, you know, I felt a lot more relaxed. I felt like I was able to, you know, breathe through my day or, you know, I felt more like lighthearted with my family. I was able to really be present for them or, you know, people had kind of different like adjustments in their life. And he thinks that maybe the more studies that we do, we might find that when we eat the mushroom, you know, when we microdose over a period of time, that maybe our brains are normalizing 
to more maybe healthy kind of network or, you know, a more balanced brain chemistry, mm-hmm. which is interesting. I'm excited to see more of that kind of research. He had to put those brain scans into context in order to get the results, though, because mm-hmm. just uh, just looking at the four brain scans, it looked very chaotic. There was no Three. rhyme or reason. Mm-hmm. But when you compare him to a database of hundreds of thousands of brain scans, mm-hmm. it puts him in context and you realize, okay, it's normalizing these people's brains. Mm-hmm. And that looks different for everybody. Yeah. So there's right. like an interactive dynamic with these plant medicines that we're not going to get with pharmaceutical chemical medicines. Mm-hmm. These things have an intelligence. They've been around as longer than we have. And supporting life in many ways, really. right? Absolutely. You know, yeah. uh, from the ground up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so they, they have a way of working with us. Yeah. It, it kind of moves us away from this anthropocentric point of view. Like, how can this med- how can this mushroom serve me when it's like also we're working together to grow them and, you know, understand them. And there's like we're meeting each other 50-50, you know, so it's also how are we serving them? Right, right. Well, and I think we used to. I think yeah. in our evolution, we had a good relationship. Yeah. It's so symbiotic, I think, that I, I feel like everything has contributed everything that's in our environment has contributed to us right so the food we've eaten over the millennia or whatever the the regions that we uh, developed in whatever well if we're developing if our brains are developing over time with mushrooms mm. i think obviously they're you know they're connected in our brain some way uh so whether that be resets or uh, being medicine to us mm-hmm. i think that's just a given Mm-hmm. Because we've taken them so long. I mean, mm-hmm. they've obviously, if they've had an effect on our evolutionary, especially our brain, then it's key to still use. Mm-hmm. I don't think we should take away from it. I think the biggest problem is going to be the fact that mm-hmm. if we can grow <laughs> cannabis and mushrooms, mm-hmm. that covers probably most of all our medicines. <laughs> <laughs> don't need much. <laughs> yeah, Maybe an occasional Advil for the <laughs> something. But I mean, other than that, I don't. And I think that's a little scary for some people, whether that's yeah. big pharma or government or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even with, you know. There's no money to be made on that. You right. mentioned Advil right. and the where we get aspirin from is a chemical in the will, willow tree. So there's natural sources to all these things. <laughs> well, and see, that's the thing. Traditions w- that we've lost. Yeah, people don't realize that half <laughs> these pills are just an isolated, remade version of yeah, something from nature. Mm-hmm. And which is sad. <clears throat> and again, that's another, to me, is an error in thinking that something has to be a compound has to be isolated Mm -hmm. and then synthesized to become a medicine absolutely i don't get that yeah Uh, but that's how most people look at it if it's not a prescription from a doctor that's a white pill Mm -hmm. uh then it's not a medicine which seems so wrong because it seems like the closer to natural it would be and the more compounds that are working together yeah uh, whether that's cannabis with all the terpenes and stuff mm-hmm. and CBDs or mushrooms and all the compounds in there, mm-hmm. I don't know. We got That's the medicine to we me. Have, we have to change the language around it because yeah, uh, some people when pressed, what is a drug? They'll re- defer to if it's illegal, it's a drug. Right. And we mm-hmm. know that that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. What's crazy is that I could drive around with a trunk full of psilocybin mushrooms and be arrested. And I could also drive around with a trunk full of deadly gallerina mushrooms, enough poison to kill an army, and I'd be fine. You know, it's not illegal to carry. <laughs> yeah, it's not illegal to carry deadly poisonous yeah. mushrooms. Right. So if the government has our health and safety best in interest, mind, our best yeah. interest in mind, that's just 
Which they yeah, don't. it's crazy. No, no, no. Which they don't. Absolutely not. Well, it's also like it makes me think. Yeah. I've talked with folks about this a lot. Uh, you know, we saw it with like the Dare program in schools or like abstinence in schools, <clears throat> telling people just not to do something doesn't work. It doesn't help educate anybody about what. And and I think that's also another root of like what is a drug. We don't. We just call it everything that you know puts us in a different state of mind. A drug. But we saw with these programs that just tell kids don't do it and there's no education around these different substances uh, that it doesn't it, pregnancy rates go up, you know, rates of pe people, see kids seeking this stuff out goes up. Um, and I think it's a beautiful thing to have, you know, medicine that you use yourself and then also be growing it at home and your child sees that and then you're able to educate your child about like what you use that medicine for. What is the container? Um, it's not, you know, they're seeing that you're not doing it just to get like, you know, fucked up or to distance yourself from your family or whatever problems. Um, you're using it medicinally. And what does that look like? What does a medicinal use look like? And how does that help you? You know, so you're, I think you're creating like a, a great example for your child about like, what is medicine? What do you feel calling to? And seeing like, you know, uh, you take care of the plant too. Um, that's like a different scenario than just being like, nope, don't do it. Don't look at it. You know, don't name it. I don't want to hear it come out of your mouth, like all of that. And then it just leaves people with this void of like, well, I need maybe I need help or I need something. That's, you know, why I went to weed so much when I was a kid, because I'm like, I have this void and this is something that helps me connect. Um, and so I think that that's pretty major. You know, we got to talk about it. it. This stuff exists. And we I think personally I think we should be talking about it with kids you know what it you know and what is medicine what is drugs we actually see that all the time canvassing because we mm -hmm. flag everybody parents included when they mm -hmm. have their kids hey you want to help decriminalize mushrooms and some of the some families walk away and the kids asking their parent what what, what is, do they mean what, what do they mean and, and then we get to hear parents, why are mushrooms illegal mom yeah mm -hmm. right and then we get to hear parents explaining it to their kids and even if they don't stop and uh, talk to us mm -hmm. they're having the conversations which is really cool and then a lot of parents do stop and they're like yeah you know we want we want the world to exist first of all and to be a better place for our children and we believe in these things and so the the paradigm's already shifting because we're having open conversation and not it's not all hush hush um and one of the things that the mushrooms has taught me, like if, if they've taught me anything, is to analyze my relationship to all people and all things. And it all comes down to relationship. That brings the meaning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's how we relate to uh, everything and everyone around us. And so I think that can be very therapeutic in the family setting. Mm -hmm. I've heard healing stories of families taking a, a mushroom trip together and it breaking down the barriers of communication and gets people into a vulnerable space where you can form like real bonds, real connections and breaks down that kind of stuff that gets brushed under the rug and causes divorces, you know, causes all that, all that stuff that we bottle up and don't talk about. Um, and I, they've also taught me about my relationship to food, my relationship to the, the medicines themselves yep. is that to water, cannabis, mushrooms, all these different plant medicines really is they're, they're there doing their thing and it's my relationship to them that can be healthy or unhealthy. And is it uplifting both of us or is it hurting both of us? And there's yeah. sometimes there is a time to walk away mm -hmm. and there and reapproach. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And I think it's a it's a constant balancing act of us getting ourselves in right relationship with 
our allies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is very important to think about. And I couldn't agree more. I think that the, if you stick with the plant, the fungus long enough, it's going to guide you towards that direction anyways, because there is a communication happening. Yeah, I think and I think you both hit two really big points here. One is that with with what you said, you know, that's how we've approached with my with my kids is is we don't hide anything. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't sit there and like smoke around them mm-hmm. and do all that. Right. But we don't hide anything and we never have. And the whole time it's been about education, like you said. Mm-hmm. So this is what we have. This is what we use it for. This mm-hmm. is how we use it. This is what we're doing. Go away. You know, this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And it's created a rather decent situation with them. They don't have questions. They're not curious. Mm-hmm. And there's respect. They're Yeah. And they're, they're not wondering about it. Yeah. Like when I was a kid, it was all hush hush and yeah. bad, bad. All I wanted to do was do it. Yeah. yeah. All I want to do is figure out what it was all about. What is it? Yeah. And like, then like you said, another good point, you do it and you're like, wow, okay, now I understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but you feel bad because of what you've been taught. Oh yeah. Which and is all you bullshit. you feel guilty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With my kids, they now have the opportunity to really make an informed choice. Yeah. Without any kind of rebellion with involved in that or poor judgment, they I hope. They can talk to you too. They can talk to me they can decide what and honestly my kids are not they don't mm-hmm. they're they're like well like my daughter sees me grow it right mm-hmm. and she sees the bugs get get on them and the and the, the the process that you go through and the work and stuff mm-hmm. and she's like i don't want any part of it <laughs> that's medicine that's too much work dad i don't want it <laughs> Uh, and then my son he just doesn't care all he cares about is video games he does not care about it at all uh now i bet you if i brought him up differently and hid it from him and mm-hmm. didn't talk to him they would have been doing something with it. Yeah, they it. might try to break into your stash. And right. Out, what is this stuff that dad's exactly. obsessed with? <laughs> exactly. And that's the other thing, too. We have had not any problems with our product that we keep. We do keep it safe, but I mean, we don't have any worries with that. Yeah. Because they, they're not interested in it. Yeah. Uh, which is great. Their friends are all interested in it, and they're like, why? Mm-hmm. You know, what's the big deal? Yeah. <laughs> that's called breaking the stigma. It, exactly. Yeah. We're going to have to. Uh, Think of it in a way that getting, I hate inebriated, but getting high or mm. or having some sort of pleasure from the experience is not doesn't make it medicine. What we're going to find out with studies is that being high is part of the medicine. Mm. Right. People need to understand that. Two different approaches, using cannabis to treat somebody that that's at the end of their life with cancer. Right. Using cannabis and mushrooms. Mushrooms to come it's to terms huge. with mortality. Mm-hmm. Cannabis to ease the pain, yeah. to stimulate the appetite. Yeah. Or giving somebody chemo, and we call chemo medicine, yeah. and we call these other things drugs. And I don't know if you've ever seen somebody going through chemo. Oh yeah, but it is I've seen not people, I've, pleasant. I've, our first one of our first loyal listeners, and I, I feel horrible to this day, uh, had cancer, and mm. she wanted to meet us before she died, and mm. she made it to our driveway, and we weren't home, and then she died that next morning. Wow. <gasps> wow. But she, you know, it was all a process with cannabis and stuff. And she died peacefully, I'm pretty sure. But um, that's what counts. We all, we're all headed to death. I know. So as long, I know. As, long as we can do I, it. I just, you know, it's just I, we've been close to not only per family with cancer that has died, but also mm. families, listeners. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's so prevalent out there. Yeah. And uh, like you said, too, I think in the past, you know, way back, shamanism was a way to teach the group. 
mm-hmm. your tribe, your kids. There was a shaman that knew that had been through it. It was the OG, right? right. Yeah. So there was a form of good education. Right. Kids weren't running around these tribes just getting high on these drugs. Mm-hmm. It was a medicine. Yeah. It was with the shaman. The shaman knew how to do it. You sat down and did it properly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There, there is none of that. We have to recreate that. That's because, what I'm saying yeah. is, is to be able to recreate that, I think, is going to be necessary because... Otherwise, it's going to be a recreational drug. Mm. And, and that's that's, that's why decriminalization is so important because like Nick was saying, you know, there are people in the community already doing this work. There's, I've met people who facilitate for their inner circles, um, people who grow their own, people who are microdosing. And it's about, you know, trusting our community members to be able to handle that, you know, and, and to learn from one another. And we're seeing in Denver that they have a mushroom cooperative uh they just had their first meeting it's posted on youtube um and you know they uh it's a they're creating spaces where the people can learn from one another how to grow um how to create these safe containers and working together with their psychedelic society and you know we don't have to look to like institutions we have to look to each other and i think there's that's another thing that is like kind of interesting insidious thing in this work is like people are like well you know are there study you know what are the studies what that, that part's important too what's the science behind this um but like you know people a lot of people that i've talked to want to see like you know maps or big institutions that are like legitimize this when it's like we have been, you know, communing with these medicines for so, so long and they're so old, they're ancient. And we have intuition when when we eat them, uh, what to do when we're, you know, in that different state of mind. Um, and there are teachers in our community that already exist that are already facilitating and doing this work. So we're building bridges right now. Um, and also, you know, when you have to like trust your neighbor, you also have to trust yourself. And there's there's a lot of that kind of like inner work that's happening in this movement too, which I think is beautiful. I often wonder too, if people wouldn't spiritually be better off. And I'm not talking about mm-hmm. one group of a certain belief. I'm talking about all the beliefs, like mm-hmm. you incorporate mushrooms and all that. Right. I wonder if we wouldn't all start coming to more of a common place. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. a good you know point. I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, we can all get along. You realize yeah. that now, right? Yeah. Uh, and I like I've, I've said before, I, I can't imagine any religion that hasn't had some form of psychedelic incorporated in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, there there's even one. talk with, you know, talk with Christianity about oh, the yeah. acacia bush. Or is that acacia a bush or something like that? Um, and the uh, and the fact that um, mushrooms were signified symbolized sorry mm-hmm. so much they were using um, psychoactive incense right mm-hmm. right um yeah so, all kinds of things the priest class yeah, yeah. so i mean it's, it's been always had these psychoactive yeah, yeah yeah and i think that would justify more of some of these beliefs that are out there if you actually yeah. realize that it probably had mushrooms at some point and so. actually the the holy anointing oil right and in, in christianity has the leading theory about it is that it was a cannabis oil right right yeah, yeah absolutely mm-hmm. and why not I mean, it's good for you, <laughs> period. I mean, and that's in many ways, I'm not even saying like, here's the deal. You guys were talking about having a balance. And I think that's really true with anything in life. That's with food, with exercise, with your family, with friends, with entertainment, and especially with your, your medicines. Yeah. Uh, it's all a balance. And even your work. Have you ever, work? you know, there's such thing as a workaholic. Well, yeah, destroys which, families. which then causes an imbalance in your drug life. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Uh, but that's the thing is, is that balance. And, you know, I, 
will take breaks from everything uh, occasionally, not only to reset, but to get a perspective again. And I recently from November 1st of last year till Mar like March 15th, it was five, five and a half months, everything. And what's really cool is if you do have the space to grow your own, same with cannabis, you're establishing a relationship with that plant, that medicine, that fungus, um, and it, all the love and the tension you give it, the time that comes back when you commune with it. And so it becomes more tailored to you specifically. Um, it's picking up the vibes, man, when yeah. it's growing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, the vibe terroir. What, and what we saw in like the original, the <laughs> cannabis movement with um, normal and all that was people teaching how to grow. And because it was illegal, they taught you how to grow tomatoes. And if you could grow tomatoes, you could right. grow cannabis. Right. <laughs> and so we kind of were at a phase until we decriminalize in our cities where we're doing the same thing with mushrooms. Sure. There's a basic approach to growing mu mushrooms. It doesn't matter what kind of mushroom it is. And then you can figure out what specific type of food, what each specific mushroom likes. Mm -hmm. um, and then you can grow the psychoactives. But like in Denver where they've decriminalized, they're starting to talk more openly about growing psilocybe mushrooms. Um, and yeah, for anybody interested out there, I would highly recommend Googling the PF tech, the brown rice flour tech. Mm. That's a great way to get introduced. And mm. you can grow all kinds of mushrooms on that simple substrate. Yeah. Mm. It's a good way to get into it. Um, mm. And that's really well, it doesn't the, really this, take the core a, of this movement. Sorry about that. No worries. Uh, it, it doesn't take much space though, really. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, not really, mm -hmm. like compared to cannabis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or <laughs> if you're doing indoor, it doesn't take special lighting. You just let no, ambient light thing. come in the window. Well, and I was, my last interview with uh, Far Out, he was talking about how he uses uh, LED rope lights. Yeah. Just wraps them right around the tubs. Yeah. So it works great. Uh, you mm -hmm. got to do it a certain way or they, they lean wrong. But mm -hmm. um, anyway, it, interesting. I, this is all new to me. Yeah. So, you know, all this stuff, I'm just soaking it up because it's really cool. I went, you know, coming into this, I knew a lot about cannabis, but mm -hmm. not so much about anything outside my journey with psychedelics. Yeah. <laughs> What's super cool is they could be symbiotic with each other. If you could grow mushrooms in your cannabis grow room. Because mushrooms like us breathe oxygen and exhale carbon dioxide. Right. And yeah. one of the things people do in their cannabis grow rooms is up the carbon dioxide content. Yes. yes. So if you're growing them side by side, you'd create a symbiosis <laughs> in there, which is really cool. And I have seen pictures on Google and on the shroomery of uh, people having cubensis pop up from their cannabis pots, Whoa. you know, because they're, I, I they're planting the cakes in there. Well, I, and I just can't imagine it any better. I yeah. just, this, right? this is my garden of Eden. Yeah. Welcome. <laughs> Yeah. You can have the fruit of life. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, well, it, it's very surprising that just like the decriminalized nature, Portland, mm -hmm. I don't understand how you can criminalize nature. Mm -hmm. She's been around a lot longer than us. Mm -hmm. Going to be probably around a lot longer than <laughs> us. Yeah. Uh, and really has the final say. So I don't understand mm -hmm. how, you know. Uh, that's always blown me away, but we're really glad you guys are doing this. Yeah. yeah. I mean, all that that's all means of control, you know, if you can disconnect people from the medicines that, you know, we've evolved with, then there's a lot of, uh, what do you call it? Cognitive dissonance yep. that happens. And it's a greater, it's a, it's a way to sneak in with all the sugars and all these things that, you know, kind of hold us down yeah. in a lot of pretty major ways. And so decriminalized nature, it's, about kind of coming back to it, back to our roots. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Co cognitive liberty. Cognitive liberty. Liberating our consciousness. Yeah. Because uh, at the core, that's where 
uh, revolution starts is when we liberate ourselves. Yep. And then it's exponential. It's it's in our own homes, in our mm. neighborhoods, in mm-hmm. our communities, and it spreads out from there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's empowering. I often wonder how much healthier we'd be as a society if we were able to go back to those ways mm-hmm. that we had uh, spiritually. Yeah. And moving moving forward too, I think the the technology that we have now is good. There's um, we got to marry the two. That's what I mean. Yeah. I think that these things can help us use our technologies for creation rather than destruction and with wisdom. Right. That's what I mean by trying to blow each other up all the time. No, exactly. (laughs) Well, and that's the thing that's, that's could be the inherent beauty of it is if we had enough people using it properly, there might be, you know, we might be able to take a lar- uh, the larger group of us uh, mm-hmm. and make it more peaceful. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because one thing about mushrooms, and I, I know people, it's almost a cliche at this point, but it is an ego buster. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where a lot of your bad trips come from because mm-hmm. we are so people don't want that. No, we're, and we're <laughs> so, we're so, by the time we're probably two or three, we're so ingrained towards ego yeah. that, that. Uh, when you start having a bad trip, it generally comes back to you have trouble with something that goes back to that. So yeah, you're holding on to something that you think you identify with, and mm-hmm. the right. mushroom, specifically the tryptamines, DMT mushrooms, are they're mm-hmm. stripping away your identity. Oh, for sure. Into mm-hmm. like your essence. So there's something yeah. there's something beyond all the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves. That's our core essence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once you're in touch with that, you're fearless. You're kind of death is no longer an issue you you kind of you find that that core essence your soul whatever you want to call it um which most people and then you can be in right relationship with other things without becoming overly attached right and i think most people are looking for that yeah and end up finding it in religions that don't offer that fulfillment Mm -hmm. um i mean you can talk yourself into anything like you can be faithful in anything, yeah. but to actually have it perform uh, like a mushroom will. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I think I just think that there's a big gap there that can be filled with psychedelics on a spiritual level. Yeah. And I think it's, there's a big gap for a reason because that's mostly spirituality. Yeah. And any other practices you might have, daily practices like meditation. Um, me personally, I do Qigong, a little mm-hmm. bit of Tai Chi. And some meditation; those are tools to bring into the psychedelic experience as well. Like, if you know how to how to sit, how to become detached, and just kind of uh, a witness yeah. a witness to your own thoughts and all of that, and how to breathe, mm-hmm. that's going to serve you in the mushroom experience. And I really think that uh, those things are important because you can enter these spaces sober. I mean, maybe not to the degree, but with breathing and meditation, Mm -hmm. you can get the same benefits and yeah, and enter certain, like you can induce um, visions by putting pressure on your eyelids, right? So, I mean, these are experiences that can be induced in sober states. Absolutely. um, And tapped into for benefits. I think the difference is like uh, Nick and I were together one time we were canvassing this guy's like, you know, you don't have to eat mushrooms to reach those states. And he, we talked about meditation, different things, but like I said, um, it, I think that these practices, uh, we can get our own bullshit out of the way through, our, you know, through our own like patience with ourselves through meditation. We can get some of that bullshit out of the way and really come down to that true essence. We can find that without the medicines for sure. Um, or maybe not, I don't know. Um, cause they're, they're still existing around us, but, um, at the same time, it's kind of when we eat the mushrooms or something else happening, there's like a fusing of beings you know, because we, we're digesting them, we're breaking them down, and they're entering into our system. 
And I think that that is uh, something to keep in mind. Like I said, like meeting them halfway, there's there's two beings now that are here in your body. It's you and the mushroom. And there's, I think, uh, it gets a little hippy-dippy-hoo-woo maybe to <laughs> some. But for me, I, I think that there, that's, that's uh, it's magical, you know. That's why I call, call them magic mushrooms. It's, you know, and that's happened, that happens with our food too and everything, but... You kind of get where I'm coming from. I, it's like I do. shedding the anthropocentric, like, what can they do for me? It's like, no, you guys are fusing. These We're fusing with them. There's sentience and intelligence and yeah. all of nature. They've been here longer than us. You know, I, and that's why I think it's missing. Like, it's like with can cannabinoids in your ECS system. It's yeah. We're missing that. Um, and I think people, if people would allow themselves to have an experience with mushrooms, I honestly think everybody would have some... Mm -hmm commonality with what you said yeah i think everybody would have a magical experience yeah if they would just do it yeah. um, it's hard to put into words it's, it's a little so jumbled. i don't care how experienced you are i cannot i cannot explain yeah i cannot explain I it Nick's to pretty people good at it. It's a, but it is very magical the rabbit hole goes as deep as you want to look and yeah. i don't think anybody's an expert in it which is really cool it's the thing you can't yeah. put your finger on yeah yeah and like the they, there's a saying in taoism the Tao that can be spoken is not the true Tao. You know, and the, the mushroom really brings that to life. Yeah. And I honestly think a lot of people are afraid to travel into those spaces. There's I, a lot of it is because of ego. They're afraid mm -hmm. and they're afraid that that's, you know, going yeah. to. We have to realize, though, that like just like cannabis and mush mushrooms as well have these have like a protective spirit. It wants to be gentle with us. Mm. Um, there's a dynamic relationship there. So with mushrooms, if you are feeling some fear, I recommend starting out small, mm. even sub threshold microdosing. Mm -hmm. Start to establish a relationship with that ally. Mm. Yeah, thank you. For and slowly that. up your dose. Um, it's it's like uh, you don't dump jump in the deep end of the pool when you don't know how to swim, right? No. Mm. You get on your floaties. You know, or you have your mom or dad helping you on your back or whatever. <laughs> and you learn slowly. You learn how to walk before you run. You learn mm -hmm. how to crawl before you walk. Yeah. Um, and it's the same when you're dealing with a new plant or mm -hmm. fungal ally is uh, be trepidatious mm -hmm. and take your time, establish a relationship. And that fear will start to melt away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I find I find that that has worked for me. I mm -hmm. it, in fact, what it what it does do is it leaves me wanting more. Um <laughs> Which is how I ended up taking quarters anyway. Yeah, is I, you know, I I was taking eights and I'm like I just want more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so you up that and you find your comfortable spot. I don't know. Mushrooms are really powerful in the sense that they can be a food. Mm -hmm. They can make you trip balls, mm -hmm. and they can kill you. Yeah, so, absolutely. Very powerful in two different aspects. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> let's let's talk about this have you heard about the eight levels of of i don't know what you call it, eight levels of psychedelics or psychonaut uh, i these... can't remember where who developed that system but it's it's cool because it's not specific to any type of psychedelic no it's not it's more judging the subjective effects yes yeah. and they've kind of categorized it basically is it categorizing the the plants and fungus or is it categorizing your level of the like the spaces the, the realms experience. that you can attain yeah, the yeah. experience okay. so and although and they do and some of the boards they will go into detail about okay if you're on lsd you're going to lean this direction with it on this level Whereas if you're on a mushroom high, you're going to lean this direction. But they all kind of have a common theme involved. Mm -hmm. And it's really cool, but they no one's ever gotten past 8B. Mm -hmm. 8B is where, like, 
so let me give you an example. Like I've been to like level four or five. So level one is like can be induced sober, mm-hmm. right? And then level two is like the where uh, you feel altered in some form or fashion, but nothing specific. And then mm-hmm. level three is like you start to have like closed eye visuals or, or things start to warp. Yeah. And then like level four is uh, it starts, you know, you're starting to become inebriated, lethargic, this and that. And then your um, time distortions, time distortions, yeah. all that starts. And then like level five, you'll have closed and open eye visuals um, possibly. And you're kind of coming to the point where you're getting all the geometric stuff going on. Mm. And like I said, it might impede over into your natural vision, not just with closed eye. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then level six, you know, it keeps going. And then level eight, eight A is like you're detached from the ego. Eight A, you have no, like you can't function well. Mm-hmm. Like you wouldn't, can't see anything. Yeah. All you can see is the colors and geometry. So you're like in a bubble. Mm-hmm. And you, so you want to have someone there basically. Mm-hmm. Very little motor function. And your mind at that point is going from scientifically, they have evidence of this, Mm -hmm. but your mind is losing all of its short-term memory. So you you shut down your short-term memory. All you have is memories of like when you were a baby, right? And Mm. that's what really disassociates you because you have no memory of yourself at that point. I've been to that level and I've peed the bed a few times, you know, because you do lose complete motor function. Yeah. I remember uh, when I was flinging myself out there working to heal from addiction, becoming completely detached from the body. remember feeling one time in my, in my room, I felt a lot of pressure in my belly. I could hear liquid swishing around, but I didn't oh, yeah. know what it meant. And then I started peeing. I was like, oh yeah, now I remember. <laughs> so um, like, were you encompassed? Like you had no external data, yeah, just yeah. visuals. Yeah. The, it's, you go to a place where the set and setting really doesn't matter. Right. So you don't want to be laying in the middle of the road. You right. know, you want to be in a safe spot. Oh no, no, yeah. Because you're completely laid out. One of my most healing experiences that I'll share um, came out of camping out at Applegate Lake um, with a good buddy of mine, the same one I grew up taking mushrooms with. And this was three years ago. I think I was in like my late 27th year. I'm 30 now. Um, And I was working to, I had come off heroin and all that. I was on Suboxone, which is a prescribed, you know, medicine from the doctors. Damn near worse than heroin. Right. It was very (laughs) difficult to get off of. Yeah, um, that's what I mean. Yeah. Mm. And this is what helped me to get off that. Uh, This experience was... I had, I had a lot of like guilt and shame, self-loathing for these things I'd been through. And I went out there and it had been a while since I had, I call it home. The high dose psilocybin experience is somewhere like I'd feel so connected to. It'd been a while since I'd been home to check in. And we did a really high dose. It, I think it was, you know, nine grams of penis envy mushrooms, which the, it was a very yep. potent cubensis. Um, Incidentally, it's a good looking mushroom. And I, <laughs> <laughs> I knew you're going to laugh, but honestly, it really is. It's a, it, it looks, it's beautiful, but it looks mean. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, ooh. Yep. Yeah. They're very, very potent. Uh, are they? Very they stinky. <laughs> and, and they're a, a great mushroom to grow. They've, they Who the hell really came well. up with that, man? Is that a scientific name? Uh, it was a guy named, um, oh, what's his name? Stephen Pollock, a mycologist. He's mycology's, uh, biggest mystery. He was actually, um. He was a medical doctor. Um, I'm get, I'm digressing a little bit here, it's but okay, I will get ahead. back to the experience. Okay. He was a medical doctor, a family practitioner, and had an encounter with the mushrooms and be- became convinced that it was the elixir of life. So he quit his job, started growing mushrooms in a big warehouse. I think he was in Texas. Huge warehouse. Uh, his 
I've read a story from his girlfriend that his idea of a first date was shaking spawn jars. He lived with his <laughs> mushrooms. Um, Boy, and I'm he sure was he also had all kinds of ladies. He, he had a mission. He had a mission and he actually, he created the penis envy mushroom. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, that's cool. He, he created the penis envy. He just had a dream of making a mushroom that looked like a penis and he did it through selective breeding. Mm-hmm. Well, um, now they have the albinos, right? Yeah. The albino penis yeah. envy, different hybrids, mm-hmm. but he was, uh, he had a, he had a dream of, creating a bigger and bigger mycology base and being able to get people growing their own. He was doing mail order business. And so he was also selling like quaaludes and cocaine for wow. the mafia in Mexico, yeah. the cartel mm-hmm. and had cases against him from the FBI and all this stuff. And he was found shot in the head. And shortly before he was shot, uh, the FBI dropped all their cases. So there's no, nobody knows if it was the FBI that killed him or the cartel. And he's one of mycology's greatest mysteries, you know? Right. Well, it's too bad. I mean, those two groups are bad to be. Right. <laughs> it right. doesn't matter which one because they're yeah. both real. They're both, yeah. yeah. They'll yeah. both get you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and that was in the 70s. That's where the penis envy mushroom comes from. This original spore print came from Terrence and Dennis McKenna from the Amazon. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, anyways, to get back to the story. So, yeah, there was a high dose, high dose of mushrooms, like nine grams or so of penis envy. We were camping. Um, I took a high dose. I knew I, I knew it was going to be rough because I had a lot to face. And I did completely flip my lid, uh, wound up passing out. I fell over, kind of landed on a tent. I had a tent pole sticking into my back. Oh. And I just laid there for about six hours, went completely out. He's not telling you the part where he's pantsless. Yeah. <laughs> my, my pants were down. I mean, it was. I flipped my lid, which can happen. But mm. I was prepared for it because I needed to go that far. Do you remember? what was going on in your head or um, were you blacked out? I remember some of it. Okay. So I did go completely blackout. Um, I, I remember being taken to a place. It was like a digression and taken back to like the dark womb of, you know, maybe it was an early, early childhood memory being in the womb or just like the kind of the cosmic womb. Right. Right. Taken back and was completely gone for a while and then started having some dream vision, some visions. And at that, at that level, it's not so much about visuals, but full-on visions. So it's like a dream realm kind of. Right. Um, and after I kind of came out of that that black hole experience, I was had to rebirth myself. So I saw myself swirl down with the star. I separated from the star. The star continued to dance in front of me. And I became my own mother, and I had to birth myself. I felt the pains and everything. Jesus Christ. <laughs> And then I had, I was... Not I'd call this probably a bad trip. No. <laughs> that, that's what most people would call it, right? Yeah. Um, it was a difficult experience. Yeah, it was. And I was, we were camping right there at Applegate. So there's other people camping around. It was like midnight yeah. and I'm screaming my head off because I'm giving birth. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Right? That's okay. It's okay. Um, I can uh, just can laugh about it Dude, now. he's giving birth over here, man. <laughs> Come on over. <laughs> Really, I was in my own ex- your pants. in my own experience. <laughs> I, I didn't. Maybe. I didn't. That was uh, yeah. Luckily, that didn't happen. Yeah. Right. Um. But anyways, yeah. I had to. I I had to birth myself, and then I was able to hold myself and see myself through the lens of infinite compassion for parents out there. The way you see your children. Yeah. Where they are always going to be your children, right? And they can do no wrong to a certain degree. Of course. Right. You can stray from the path, but there's right. always going to be an unconditional love and a compassion there. And I was able to turn that lens on myself and completely experience forgiving myself and healing. And it was kind of like 
either a parent here or like a cosmic parent creator where it's like it's rough down there on earth you know it's okay kid pick yourself up and just feeling like under infinite understanding and unconditional love for myself which is what finally broke that addiction nice those are the types of experiences that that's a psychologist's dream a psychiatrist's dream that's what heals people sure absolutely well and i think that there's something to be said they've talked about how using psychedelics with with therapy can be and and that's awesome man it really is yeah um, and so what's cool is like there are people like me there's a couple generations now of you can call them basement shamans who've been extracting dmt in their mom's basement you know right right, right. <laughs> all kinds of crazy shit and well, for, you, for we myself need these I, people yeah we exactly. need these people it's the same with the black market with cannabis it's mm. we need these people mm -hmm. uh being the pioneers Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now we've had those of us, uh, same with cannabis, people that have stumbled through the dark mm -hmm. and made the mistakes, right. paid um, for it, paid right, for it, right. paid the price. And now if we can come out of the shadows and talk about this openly through mm -hmm. decriminalization, other folks don't have to stumble through the dark like that. Yep. Mm -hmm. We can create the safe space for those types of yep. life changing experiences to happen. And it doesn't have to be done in a sterile hospital either. It can be right. It's oftentimes it's a lot better in your own home where you're comfortable. Like you said, set and setting. Um, I, I've talked about, we've talked about this. I talked about this with the guys is that, uh, you know, I, I feel it's, I'm mixed. I feel like if you're a first time user, maybe a clinical setting might be good for you or for some people because they would for feel some people. Yes. Yeah. For, they'd feel safe. You know, someone's monitoring me. I'll be okay. Yep. Nothing's going to happen. Mm -hmm. I get that. But also too, on the flip side, there's going to be a lot of people are going to be like, I'm going to be, I want to be in my living room yeah. with my, my door shut, yeah. my door locked. I got my pillows, my dog, got, whatever, you know, <laughs> I got my music, whatever yeah. makes them calm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which is how I do it. I prefer mm -hmm. to set my own setting. Mm -hmm. and, and for me, mushrooms is an individual experience. Like with acid and other psychedelics, I find that I might be a little bit more lovey or a little bit uh, more uh, just chatty or active, mm -hmm. social. say, social, social, active, whatever. But with mushrooms, I just want to lay down, close my eyes, have my environment going mm -hmm. and just journey inward. Very mm -hmm. introspective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. The trips that me and Sky have had together, some of them we've been playful and interactive. And then at the higher doses, we kind of both trail off yeah. into our own yeah. internal experience yeah. Yeah. and then reconvene towards the tail end of it. Uh, exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I've done that several times with my wife. Yeah. Uh, we'll be in the same bed too, just yeah. laying there and go off, like you said, and we'll some, sometimes meet right back. It's like, hey, how's it going? Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. <laughs> which is really cool. It should be that way. Yeah, um, it's like being alone together, which is yeah. right. phenomenal. And, well, and, being, <laughs> well, and it, it, it is, it is. And it also, I think is a big lesson there. You can be with somebody and still be your own person. Yeah. You yeah. can be right there even with them and still be your own person. Yeah. So there's a big lesson, I think, there. and kind of teaches you how to do that, how you can go off and, and you know, be who you are yeah. and not anyway. how, to, how to be one and two at the same time. Absolutely. Right? See, yeah. try to explain that to someone not on mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> well, I can't figure out a better way to end. I've really enjoyed this guys. Let's, let's talk about how people can support the listeners and stuff. How can they support this initiative? Yeah, right do on. they, do they look for the website? Do they get in contact with you guys? Mm -hmm. What do we do? Uh, well, you can totally go on our website, decriminalizenatureportland.org. We're going to be doing some work to it because uh, we have some supporters who are helping us build one from scratch. So it might 
I, it's not down right now. No, I um, looked it up this morning. Right it looks fine. It's not down right now. Yeah. yeah we're, we're kind of spearheading that. But anyway, you can totally go on our website. You can reach out to us at Decriminalize Nature Portland or PDX, Decriminalize Nature PDX at Gmail um, through our email. And that's a great way. We're constantly checking that. And we're totally down to have conversations, do Zoom calls or talk on the phone and connect with folks who maybe like, you know, if you're somewhere around Oregon and you want more information about how to start maybe uh, decriminalized nature in your town or your city, we're like the way Oakland did it, they're open source and we we follow that same strain. Um, also, if you just want to chat and like ask questions, you can always reach out to us through the email and we're down to talk because that's the really exciting part about this work. Um, we're a grassroots group. So uh, like, I, like we said, you know, all our funding comes from our community. It's a lot of work. Um, we are right now looking for um, multi more strains of income. Uh, we want to maybe hold like events, uh, uh, benefits for the, you know, Portland uh, decriminalized nature chapter. So um, if you are in Portland or around Portland and you know of event spaces that we could maybe get like kind of get in on, that would be awesome. Um, free is better. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, make, make that connection, sure. then that would be really brilliant. We're looking for that. Um, let's see. And yeah, you can also donate to us and that helps greatly because uh, yeah, it's a lot of, this is, a, it's a lot of work. Um, a lot of the money we raise goes to our paychecks because we are the organization. We are doing the organizing, building the website, answering the emails, uh, writing the newsletter. Um, you know, working with a lawyer to do this, gathering signatures, especially, oh, we're going to be gathering signatures. Maybe you yeah. should talk about that. We've already started a little we, bit. Yeah. We started a little bit. You yeah, got a good start on that or? Um, we've sent, organized, uh, we've, how do, how do I say this? Uh, we got our first crew of volunteers out there mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. gathering signatures and a few of us employees have gone out and gathered some signatures. Mm -hmm. We probably have a couple hundred, but we've got to get 40,000 and we've got about seven months. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna have thousand and seven months. Okay. Yeah, in Portland, um, and it's totally it's achievable. Do you need signatures out of Portland? I don't no, understand. No, not currently. J no. Okay. This is f just an initiative for Portland, Portland. right? Registered so voters. anybody could sign in the state then. No, anybody no. within the city of Portland. It's got to be a That's Portland okay. registered voter. Gotcha. However, we can take donations from all over as long as they're with, yeah. it's within the U.S. Gotcha. Yeah, we want to um, build that surplus so we're able to pay people to petition yeah. to gather signatures. Yeah. It's going to take a lot of work. Yeah. Um, and something important about our organization is that we are a nonprofit currently we're, sh uh, shifting into a petition committee so mm -hmm. we could take the Oregon political tax credit and different things. Mm -hmm. And so all of our finances have to re be reported through the secretary of state. There's a lot of accountability. Um, however, we are committed to being cooperatively run. So we don't have a top down structure at all. We all yep. sit in meetings as often as possible and decide how to steer this campaign together. Um, and it's really important that we do it that way that we stay grassroots funded meaning mm. from individuals and small businesses within our state hopefully i mean we will take out of state donations too um for people that are supportive but the key there is small businesses people that are concerned about their community not large uh monopoly corporations that are coming in from all over and don't give a shit about the communities they mm -hmm. destroy we want to keep this like from the ground level up yep. so it's local companies um and people that are concerned with community is where we plan on getting our donations from, and it's important to run it. We are a, a political campaign, and it's important to run a political campaign that way, because it's these large monopoly corporate interests that are destroying our politics, which is uh, 
things that affect everybody. Yeah. And so these things are serious and we're committed to staying Mm-hmm. grassroots and yeah. stay on almost, the path that we're on. Well, you guys got our full support. Uh, Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks, and anytime you guys want to come back on, you're more than welcome. You can always do remotes too. We want to keep in touch yeah. with you guys and make sure that everybody's on board. Actually, honestly, uh, you guys inspired us as a group. It's good to hear. A big piece of my heart is here. I lived in Southern Oregon for 14 years. Uh, That's Bedford, awesome. Ashland. Awesome. Uh, worked on farms in Gold Hill, Applegate, all of it. Sweet. Trimming since I was 14, you know? <laughs> well, this is the place to yeah. do it, man. We get, that's our biggest influx is... Uh, the seasonal work, yeah. Seasonal work, because it's huge. Yeah. And no matter how many people we get in, we still got a ton of work. And it smells mm-hmm. so good. Yeah. It depends on who you ask. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I like it. Yeah, some people, uh, I guess, complain about but it. But yeah, when you got a, when oh, you got a field, when you got a field butted up against the public school <laughs> right <laughs> uh, it tends to piss a few people off but uh-huh. i i don't have a problem with it i i have more problems with the fact that if someone has a problem with it because you know i used to work at a uh, short story i used to work at a place that was right by a coffee um not brewing but coffee roasting roasting mm. horrible smell mm. you want to tell and it stunk up the whole Whoa. neighborhood so I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of other things out there that are a lot worse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't feel too bad for you. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thank and, you. And uh, please, like I said, keep us updated. Absolutely. So Nick Sky from Decriminalized Portland. Thanks. Yeah, thanks wonderful. so much, Greg. <laughs>